0: Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Let me begin today's program by asking a question that probably is troubling to so many of us. Will you and your spouse, if you're married, outlive your retirement assets? Will your twilight years be spent working in a non-fulfilling job or pinching pennies in a cruddy lifestyle because you've run out of funds? Well, as my first guest today, financial expert Gary Stone warns that 80% of everyday Americans will retire with a nest egg that won't last our golden years or provide the comfortable and independent retirement we all so earnestly desire. And Gary's here to explain why, and better yet, to suggest a few simple things that you and I can do now to ensure we don't outlive our money. And despite ups and downs in the stock market, are you aware that over the long haul, numerous studies demonstrate that common stocks offer the best asset accumulation vehicle to fund our retirement? But having said that, I can remember all too well the sleepless nights in the fall of 2008 and early 2009 when my stocks uh, stocks in my portfolio lost about 50 more than 50 percent of their value. Fortunately, I was not planning to retire at that time, and stocks have um, not only regained their value, but as we all know, our most index indices are at an all time high. But as we all know, when stocks go up at some point, they will come down. And wouldn't it be great if we could consistently ride the bull markets but avoid the bears? And Gary Stone is here to tell us how this can be done in in as little as 15 minutes a week. That sounds great. And Gary Stone has been researching, coaching, and successfully investing in stock markets for over 26 years. He founded Share Wealth Systems in 1995, and he's trained and empowered thousands of ordinary investors to build up and sustain healthy portfolios for retirement and a better life. And he's author of the 2016 book, Blueprint to Wealth, Financial Freedom in 15 Minutes a Week. And he comes to us from all the way in Melbourne, Australia, but routinely works with investors in the U.S. and in uh, U.S. equity markets. And hello, Gary, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age.
1: Well, thank thank you for that introduction, Roy. I, I think you, you've nailed it. You've, uh, you've summarized it very, very well.
0: Well, thank you. A a lot of us have been saving for retirement for years. in employer sponsored uh, 401k plans or maybe individual IRAs with at best only modest appreciation. And let's start with the bad news. What are the three biggest mistakes that people make when they're saving for retirement?
1: Uh, Great question. I I think the first one is is that that people, uh, when they join the new company and they have to um, make a selection uh, for their 401k contributions, they have to select what kind of uh, fund or what kind of risk profile they're going to invest with. um, And that that form is typically just a one-page form and they tick a box and, and that box is... Uh, so the first mistake they make is they tick a box that is a balanced or diversified or target date fund. That's the first mistake. And the second mistake they make is then they forget about it and, and do nothing about it.
0: Yeah, they just assume it's accumulating nicely on the side. <laughs> and they Correct. don't really and have that, to the, pay too much attention to it.
1: <laughs> that's it. And then the third mistake, and, and they also encapsulated that, is that they, they don't give any regard to um, the fees that are being paid that that are being paid by in the 401k provider and any other yeah. ensuing fees that are attached to it. Those are the three big mistakes.
0: Oh, I see. Well, experts only almost uniformly tell us to diversify to help protect against downturns. And this shocks me. You tell us that diversification is a poor risk management strategy for multi-decade investing, and one that can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in forfeited asset growth. And why is that? That its uh, diversification
1: isn't working. Okay. Well, well, firstly, diversification is an acceptable um, risk management strategy, but it's acceptable for people that are investing with horizons from. Throb- yeah, less than 12 months to probably up to five, six or seven years. Oh, nice. but, uh, but people, who, because, because what, what they're doing is they're protecting against a potential um, fall in the stock market. Now, let's face it, that, that just about every, uh, unless it's a, it's a bond-only fund that they're investing in, but the majority of, uh, of funds that people invest in have an exposure to the stock market. So the stock market yeah. is the biggest variable in terms of what their returns are going to be. So, so even a balanced fund is going to be affected by the stock market. So, so, so the the, the reason that um, that people go into balanced funds is, and diversified funds is that is that the industry tells them to do that. They say diversification is the way to go. You must diversify across into multiple asset classes. So, don't put all your money in the stock market. Also, diversify into bonds. And fixed interest, uh, other fixed interest, or, and cash, and into infrastructure, and into and into private equity, and all these other asset classes. And in uh, the moment they do that, effectively, what they're doing is, is, is they are putting some of the assets, sometimes more than 50%, into lesser performing, lower performing asset classes, which immediately puts a handbrake on what the long return, long-term returns are going to be.
0: And yeah, not only that, is the returns are so bad on the fixed income assets. <laughs> These days, in fact, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal on uh, March the uh, 9th, I think it was, that talked about how retirees are getting squeezed by low rates. So uh, even if you're a long way from retirement, you're not going to be earning a lot of income to reinvest from these fixed uh, asset classes.
1: Absolutely. It amazes me that, you know, I look at some of these retirement funds and they have 10, 15, 20 percent sitting in cash when the stock market is, is rising at a rapid rate. Now yeah, paying 1% a year or something have, like that. <laughs> correct, and, some, and people have money invested now. they have 20, 30, 40 years to go to retirement and they're sitting you know, with 10, 15, 20, 30% in cash. So yeah, that is just barbolical, it really is. Yeah.
0: And then there's, of course, gold and silver. They're always advertising that pays 0% interest.
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right.
0: Well, I love stocks, but for me, the $64,000 question is how can we ensure that our retirement nest egg is protected when there is a severe bear market downturn and sooner or later, obviously, there will be one? Uh, How do we uh, periodically get out or uh, what do we do to protect ourselves if we're mostly in stocks?
1: Well, there's two answers to that question, Ray. The first answer is that you know, if you've if you've got more than say 15 years to retirement, then you don't need to protect yourself. Um, and, and, and because the and the, and the stat behind that, the research behind that is that the average time for the stock market when the stock market falls, the average time it takes, and I'm talking about severe falls, yeah, you know, yeah. 30, 40, 50, maybe even 60 percent falls, the average time yeah. to get back to what the previous high was is four and a half years. Oh. Wow. Um, so, 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 so if, if you've got more than 15 years to retirement, then you really shouldn't be looking at protection. And let's even be conservative, say more than 20 years to retirement. they so are talking about yeah. 20, 30, 40-year-olds um, should just should be 100% in the stock market and your protection comes from the fact that the stock market is going to recover. And yeah. the second bit that I talk about, here is rather than investing in individual stocks, invest in the index because yeah. the index always recovers, but individual stocks don't always recover. Yeah, and, right. and by selecting the index, the index is going to come back, and that's your protection. As long as you don't sell, don't, you don't get scared by all the, all the noise and the fear-mongering that's going on when the market does fall, you just hold, then you, you, you protect it. And yeah, I stopped listening
0: to all that stuff in 2008 because I wasn't about to retire, and I just didn't want to hear that anymore. And <laughs> look at the Correct. portfolio so, declining so, so that's
1: a, that's a, every month. And you also. But the second part of to, to, to the answer is because you know, I'm talking about people, but people who are closer to retirement or in retirement, that their protection comes through doing what we call low effort, near passive timing. We're vigilant, and there will come a time when you go 100% into cash. Oh.
0: Yeah, well, now, how do we uh, do you have in your system, do you provide? Methods that uh, we can use to uh, determine when we should get out and get into cash? Or uh, how do we judge that? Nobody, you know, the old saying is nobody can time the market. (laughs) And and, and,
1: and and nobody can forecast the market uh, with with consistency and certainty, and nobody can time the market with 100% perfection. But what we can do is is, is we can put what we call a trailing stop or a get-out uh, a stop valve if you like where, where, when yeah. the market falls by too much so the point to understand here is that, is that every large fall in the market starts out as a small fall yeah. so so it's, it's, there's always going to be a small drop now at some stage that, that, that small decline turns into a bigger decline and at some point what we must do is have a predefined point when the market has fallen by a certain amount or a certain amount of volatility plus a certain percentage fall and we say, if it ever falls by that much from its peak, what we're going to do is we are going to objectively go into cash and we are not going to sit around to wait to find out whether this is going to be a large decline or a small decline. We're just going to yeah. cut out and let the markets decide. And, and it's so if it smart. turns around fact, and goes up, again, uh, we'll get back. When you there. think
0: about it, you can actually beat the... Uh, Index stock index by uh, not participating in all the downers. You'll be sitting in cash while <laughs> you're going through bear markets. If you do the timing right, I would think. But,
1: uh, and th- that's our philosophy. I mean, our philosophy is one that we borrowed from Warren Buffett, that he uh, he put out in 1957 in one of his shareholder letters, where effectively he said we aim to outperform in bear markets, and we aim just to match the indices in bull markets. <laughs> and if, if you can remove you don't have to get be out for the entire bear market, but you just want to miss the really big bear markets, you know, the, the two thousand and eight type bear markets. If you yeah. can step aside for most of that, not all of it, because you're not going to be able to miss all of it, you yeah. you're gonna you're gonna do very well over the long term.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. You also tell us that we're being uh fee fleeced over many years, costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars that we'll never get back. Aren't the fees we pay more than offset by the superior returns we get from the highly compensated professional portfolio managers? I mean, that's what they'd like us to think.
1: (laughs) They certainly do, and that's the logic, and that's their marketing and everything tells us that. But when you look at objective research, and there's been objective research come out, I used to do this myself in the early to mid-2000s. But over the last 10 years, there's been fantastic research put out by a company called Standard & Poor Dow Jones Indices. And what they do is they put out a report every six months on how active mutual funds, how they perform compared to the indices. And, I mean, the research now for for going back uh, nearly 20 years of data shows that active managed funds, active mutual funds, a very tiny percentage of them are able to outperform, not even outperform, match the indices in periods of longer than seven to eight years. It's really amazing. <laughs> no. it's, it's absolutely amazing. They, they, I mean, yeah. they, they just, I mean this, is not, this is not borderline. This is absolutely conclusive that something like 90 to 95% over periods of five years of active mutual funds underperform the stock market indices. And when you get to periods of 10 years or more, it's literally none. You know, trying to find an active mutual fund with the benefit of hindsight over the last 10 years has beaten an index is incredibly difficult to do. That's with the benefit of hindsight.
0: So what- Yeah, it even if, if you could do it to, on hindsight, it doesn't necessarily tell you what it's gonna <laughs> happen in the next 10 yeah, years. So,
1: so, so, that's right. So how, how are you gonna do it with foresight? How are you gonna pick one in advance for the next 10 years that's gonna match, let alone beat the index? So you might as well, probably, from a probabilistic perspective, you might as well invest in the index. And that is where and you know, one of the themes of my book is to invest in index exchange-traded funds.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask if we're going to uh, serve as our own advisors, as you call it, do it yourself or DIY mm. investment strategy, uh, mm. what stocks or stock index funds should we buy? I, I know you, you say to keep it simple and straightforward.
1: Mm. Again, using research, and this research goes back to you know, the book covers research going back Um, just 20, 25, even 30 years that there's research out there now that's come out going back to 1926 so you're talking about 80 years sorry, 90 years of of research that shows that the two (laughs) that's right and and, even through then the two stock market indices that that continue to do the best uh, over time are the S&P 400 which is the mid-cap index and the S&P 600 which is the small cap index and they they far far they do far far better than the Nasdaq uh, composite or Nasdaq 100, and they do far better than the S and P 500. So you know, one of the themes that comes out in the research of the book is to focus on on the mid cap index, the S and P 400. Oh, I see.
0: Yeah. I know in your book you cite some pretty amazing figures that benefits from this uh, personal investing strategies and lower advisor fees. Can you cite a couple of those? I know I was amazed at 45. I think. 20 years to retirement, you do $800,000 worse off if a person continues to contribute to an actively managed balanced mutual fund. I thought that was pretty amazing.
1: Okay, so, so, so what I did was, was uh, the, the research shows that the, the S&P 400, which has two main uh, index exchange-traded funds that, that track the S&P 400, yeah. the, the one is, is a BlackRock is black um, iShares uh, ETF and it's, its ticker code is is I J H that's Indigo uh, Juliet Hotel, and the other one is, is M D Y, which is Mike Delta Yankee, and mm. and these two these two ETFs are, are highly liquid, and they track the S and P 400 with, with identically. And if 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 over twenty years um, somebody had had taken their had taken the, a lump sum of money and put it into the S and P 400 index and just left it there compared to investing it in the Vanguard Balanced Fund. Now, the Vanguard Balanced Fund has been going for decades. It's it's about a $26 billion fund. Yeah, I hate to admit I have money in that
0: fund myself. (laughs) Okay,
1: well, 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 the difference between those two is somebody starting out at $100,000 20 years down the track, having just invested in the the S&P 400 ETF and reinvested the dividends, and the same with the, the Vanguard balance fund reinvested the distributions, the difference after 20 years would have been $800,000, and that is for two reasons. One is the fees in, in, the, in, the, in the index ETF are less than yeah. what the fees are in the Vanguard balance fund. The Vanguard balance fund runs, I think, at about two, and I purposely selected the Vanguard balance fund because its annual fees are, about, are low compared to other balance funds. About yeah, half, for instance, of the of the Fidelity balance funds about double the fees per annum, but but the S and P 400 index ETF have fees that is below 1.1%. For most of that period of time, it was about 0.12%, and now that the now that, that ETF fees are about 0.07%. So about a third of of the of the Vanguard balance funds. So that's the one reason, mm-hmm. lower fees, and the other reason is that, um, is that you would have had all of your money exposed to the to the stock market rather than only part of the money being exposed to, this, to the stock market and diversified in, into other asset classes such as bonds, which which put a handbrake on long-term returns.
0: That's such a good point. I also like the yeah. point you made that uh, we as individual investors have so much more freedom in converting our stocks into cash when that trigger point is reached on the stock indexes because the uh, yeah the big uh, mutual funds and stuff, if they start selling a bunch of stock, they'll drive the market down and everyone will notice it. <laughs> or we can get away with it without anybody really caring what the, you and I would uh, sell
1: a stock. G. <laughs> Roy, I compliment you. You, you. You're one of the few people that have interviewed me that I think has read the whole book and, and grasped the main points that I'm trying to make. So, so thank you very much for that. It's, uh, um, but you're absolutely right. The... The, um, this, this whole, the, the, the fact that we as individuals have smaller amounts of money to invest. So, for instance, the Vanguard Balance Fund has you know, $25, $26 billion invested. Yeah. So they, they can't go 100% into cash, whereas when we're managing a few hundred thousand dollars or even a few million dollars, there's the sufficient liquidity in the financial markets and the stock markets for us to sell our entire portfolio holdings and go into cash. Now, if you're doing that just with, an index fund, you know, an index fund such as the S&P 400 we're talking about or any other index yep. ETFs, there's sufficient liquidity for us to sell out a $2, 3 $4, 5000000 million dollar portfolio uh, and go into cash because you know, you're only selling one ticker. Whereas if you've yep. got 20 or 30 stocks, to sell 20 or 30 stocks, even though you might only have a few hundred thousand or a few million dollars under investment, it takes yep. a lot of effort to sell out all of them and then buy into them. And so the beauty of that's using an, an index ETF is that you just got one, one bar and one cell to do.
0: Yeah, it's so much easier. It's amazing you yeah. uh, point out that uh, we can pretty much pursue at least the basic strategy, and uh, I think you say as little as 15 minutes a quarter, but then if you want to get more into it, uh, 15 minutes a week, which is not a lot to ask. I mean, that's about half of a one hour sitcom on TV. <laughs>
1: It, it, it's, it's unbelievable and, you know, and but I think you know, I don't think people are apathetic about this because they don't want to do it. I think they people don't do it and and don't get into doing this with with, with which is probably going to be their biggest asset in their life, their retirement yeah. ethics because yeah. because they they are bamboozled they are, they are they've, they've been made fearful of doing this, they're scared of doing it because of all the the, the propaganda if you like that the financial establishment puts out there that this yeah. is so hard to do. It's difficult. There's this thing called volatility. The stock market rips you to shreds, and therefore you've got to come to us. Come to us and pay us fees to do this. And I think people get scared, scared off from this, and, and by doing it themselves, they can dramatically reduce their fees. And if they, if they follow a, an index ETF we're talking about, doing you know, in a single ETF doing two to three trades a year, is all the activity that you'd need to do oh, wow. But the 15 minutes a week is just vigilance. It's just keeping an eye on it. Yeah, this is all that's required to 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 make those two, three, four, five decisions a year.
0: So I guess we don't have to have a Harvard MBA to do that either.
1: <laughs> no, we don't. But I think we have to have a Harvard MBA to be able to see through the noise and the <laughs> propaganda that that gets hits us through all the airwaves that uh, that the financial establishment hits us with.
0: Well, I saw somewhere that your system is described as an excellent asset accumulation vehicle for folks from age 20 to 50. But what about those of us over 50 contemplating retirement within 5 to 10 years? Is What's a good strategy for us? Should we still be mostly in stocks or... Right, uh, except for obviously the time when we're out of them. But the, yeah. what are the near retirees? Yeah. What's the best strategy? Yeah, absolutely,
1: you? Ben. That, uh, you know, that's 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 certainly my my view from my research and experience. You know, the the twenty to fifty year olds are the are the fifteen minute a quarter or the one hour a year strategy where they effectively buy and hold, you know, one or two index ETFs. They never sell it, and all they do is add dividends and add their retirement contributions to it. But yeah. when you're starting to near retirement and, and get into retirement. Even even when people get into retirement, they still need a degree of growth in in the yeah. assets that that their retirement assets. Otherwise, inflation is just going to eat it away. Yeah, so, so the true. the idea there that's the 15 minute a week strategy. The 15 minute a week strategy is to start introducing timing of the market. And I say this is not this is not you know, trading the market. It's, it's yeah. being vigilant and making three to four to five decisions a year. Where if the market falls by too much we've got what, an objective exit strategy where we'll go 100% in cash and we use the agility that we have of managing smaller amounts of money that yeah. you know, large funds don't have that agility. And to, the to key exit is you're, you're
0: in charge of your investments. You're not just depending on some guru and some mutual fund far away and, and watching your assets deteriorate. You're on top of it and you uh, you know what's going on. And it does, Like you say, True. it doesn't take that much time and energy to do that. It just takes common sense and, and a book like <laughs> your book, I think, <laughs> to, to get people started
1: on it. It's, it's, it's about having a process to follow. And I think where most people battle is, is, they, is they don't, they're do coming up with that process in the first place. is difficult for them to work out. And, and that's what I've tried to do you know, with my investing coaching business I've had for, for 22 years yeah. is, is to come up with that process for people and, and present that to them in a way that they can understand it and it's simple and they, then they follow it. And so the, the process comes out of the box, if you like, but they, they can then learn how to execute that process and maybe modify it to their particular uh, risk profile.
0: Well, let's talk briefly about your new book, Blueprint to Wealth, Financial, uh, financial Wealth from 15 Minutes a Week. I, I might have the title a little wrong there. What? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. It's Financial Freedom, so Financial Freedom in 15 oh, Minutes. Fine. So Blueprint to Wealth, Financial Freedom in 15 Minutes a Week. Well, let, let's oh. define financial freedom. Uh, financial freedom, uh, to me, is 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 having sufficient wealth such that um, you can ha- enjoy a comfortable and independent retirement. Uh, Amen. But but maybe even to go a step further than that, to be able to have more than enough, so that when we get into our golden years, we can we can contribute and give back to society and community yeah, and, and leave to those for around our
0: heirs and uh, and Absolutely. and help others. That, uh
1: uh, and help others, you know, and, and the environment that's provided for us, that's helped us create this wealth, that we can give back to those that are more needy, uh, and that's why my company's name is Share Wealth Systems, so that is a pun on share wealth, yeah. it's, it's from shares, but it's also to share your wealth as well, yeah. with with those that need it more than what we do.
0: I thought, um, as a great summary of your book, you, you say there are four ideas that you want us to take away, and uh, I think it's in the... Uh, Early in the book, what uh, just quickly? What are those four ideas? Because I think they kind of sum up the whole thing we're talking about here.
1: Well, well it's 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 really to dispel myths. So, so the fact that you know people say um, you can't. Well, firstly, the market can can be beaten. That's 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 the first one. Yeah. That's the first idea. Um, and I like the way you say
0: of, everybody can beat nearly every mutual fund. <laughs> I like the way you put it in at, your
1: book. <laughs> absolutely. So so the idea is that you know, there is a myth that the market can't can't be can't be beaten and um and and, and, and this is the idea so so that you are and so, sorry so first of all you can beat nearly every active mutual fund and the idea behind that is, is that if you can beat the market you can beat nearly every active mutual fund out there because the the, the research that comes in from S&P Dow Jones indices is that the indices beat every other index fund so yeah. if you can match the market or beat it which you can do and use the agility that you have as, as, a, as an individual investor to yeah. time the market on a, on a near passive low effort basis, then you can beat the index as well.
0: Yeah, get off that roller coaster before it goes down the, down loops and <laughs> get back on Correct, the it climbing absolutely. again. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and, and the other, another idea is, is, that, um, is, is this idea of having a customized investment process to, to, yeah. to your requirements. So it's, it's about putting process into your investing rather than ticking a box and letting somebody else's process determine your future. Yeah, a process
0: uh, is meant for millions of people that are invested in that mutual fund, not just you.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So so it's customized to you and and you work out what that is and and you put together what, what what I write about in the book in some detail, which is what we call an investment plan. And yeah. uh and that investment plan which is which are there's two detailed investment plans in the book but, that people can use as a template for their own. Is yeah. it provides the detail, the rigor, the structure and the research to for them just to pick up and actually start executing or modify slightly if they want to or customize it for to, to execute.
0: And what uh, the fourth one is the market can be timed. I like that because you know there's... Wisdom is you can't time the market, but obviously you can have stop losses in there so that uh, you know you may a little bit skimmed off your profitable upturns, but you may miss out on the, the deep stuff
1: down. <laughs> the, the, the market can definitely be timed, and this is part of the propaganda that the uh, that the financial establishment puts out there. Now I'm not talking about timing on an intraday basis or a daily basis. Oh no, I've basis.
0: never day traded. That would drive me totally <laughs> bad. I mean,
1: <laughs> th- that can be done, but it's 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 extremely mm. difficult to do, and it takes yeah. decades to build the skills to do that. I'm talking about building skills that really take a few weeks to be able to do, or even a few days, where yeah. you're looking at what we call longer-term timing. Yeah.
0: Well, where do we go to preview and purchase your book? Where's the best place to uh, to get it?
1: Uh, Ray, there's a website for the book. It's uh, And uh, surprise, surprise, the website's called blueprint dot And okay. uh, so people so can go it's just there. the name of the book then? It's just the name of the book, blueprint And they can find uh, there's a video. I'm, I'm interviewed on, on the site by Jack Canfield about the book. And yeah, that was an excellent interview. Also, it is it's a, He interviews very, very well. and And, it's, yes. and there's also. Uh, from there, you, there's information, there's resources that people can, for instance, the the actual investment plan that are that that's in the book. People can download that if oh. they're happy to provide us with their email address. Okay. Um, and and they can also from that from that uh, page, they can that that web page. They can also um, go off to Amazon. So there's a Kindle version, there's a hard hardcover version, there's a which, which has colour in it, and there's also a, a paperback colour, and there's a paperback. Uh, black and white, and there's Kindle, and there's iBooks, and Kobo. I think and all you also, versions. on your
0: website, you offer a free download of Chapter 1 if, if somebody's interested in, uh, you know, getting a real
1: feel for the book. We do, and uh, and there, there we talk about, um, you know, the $800,000 difference yeah. between investing in the S&P 400 uh, index ETF and, uh, and Vanguard balance fund yes. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm excited. I wish I was 30 again so I could go back and do it better. But to, to conclude, per Gary Stone, for decades, many large mutual funds and their distribution networks have preyed on investors like you and me. And by following Gary's methods and his advice, it is possible to accumulate wealth for retirement and to uh, beat the pros and even beat the insects because you're avoiding the downturns. And with uh, modern technology and medicine, uh, there's a 70% chance that if you reach age 65, that you'll reach age 90, but you certainly don't want to be struggling to make money or to make ends meet when you're in your mid-80s or something and and not enjoying life, just maybe ending up on Medicaid or some horrible uh, future like that, and now is the time to address this. And and here's a way that, uh, you know, by following Gary Stone's advice, that you can uh, be certain that you're managing growth in your assets and you're not uh, just depending on someone else to do it. And thanks so much, Gary. This has been a real eye-opening uh, interview.
1: Th- thank you very much, Roy. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I really am uh, – you, you've read the book and grasped it, so, so thank you very much for doing that as well. Invest of
0: success with uh, getting the word out to uh, investors throughout the world that uh, they don't need to depend on uh, other people to do it for them. <laughs> thanks so much. Th- thank you, Roy. My guest today, Gary Stone, talked about building wealth for retirement and doing so by spending only 15 minutes a week. And for the remainder of today's program, we're going to talk about an activity on which you dedicate probably around 40 hours a week, maybe a little less but perhaps a lot more, and that's your job. You know, for most of us, job and career take up most of our waking hours. So whether you're a number cruncher in accounting, a traveling salesperson on the run, or your company's CEO, it only makes sense to enjoy your hours on the job, not by goofing off, but by adding value in a relaxed stress-free atmosphere where you feel good performing tasks you enjoy and are good at it. Uh, But for most, uh, at middle age, most all of us know what can ruin a good day at work, and that's an over-demanding boss who loads on more than you can handle in a normal work day. And who knows that if you're a CEO, that may be yourself or your board of directors. You know, uh, that assigns a boss that assigns project after project with deadlines that are far too short and who can be downright testy when those deadlines are missed. How about the boss, and I've had some, who walks in 15 minutes before closing time and hands you a project, an urgent project, as they call it, due to Tomorrow morning first thing, and it will require hours of overtime tonight. forget about your daughter 's soccer game. no chance to uh, plan and organize activity evening activities in advance then there's the boss who expects you twenty four seven good old internet and uh, cell phones, smartphones, expects you to respond 24-7 to calls, texts, and emails. Overall, you like your job, and you're committed to your company and its mission. It's just that your current first-line supervisor is getting you down. So how do you respond? Do you routinely say yes and jeopardize your peace of mind, your personal life, maybe even your relationships, and worst of all, even your health, because extended stress can And make you ill. Studies have demonstrated that. Or do you refuse, challenge your boss at every turn, and risk being seen as whiny, maybe even uh, lose your next raise or promotion, and be first in line to go the next time there is a reduction in force? For obvious reasons, neither of these two choices is optimal. And let's talk about some better choices in responding to an over-demanding boss. And a lot of this comes from an article by Sue Schellenbarger in the January 18, 2017 Wall Street Journal. Let's talk about first what not to do. Here's what not to do. Don't agree politely to unreasonable demands. Because this just invites your boss to keep making them, especially if you bust your rear end each time to meet his or her deadline. You know, you can only do that so many times until both quality of work and your mental state will begin to suffer. Here's another thing not to do. Don't agree to your boss's demands while in your mind you plan to finish the project one or two days, maybe even more late. Because this just may lead your boss to set deadlines even earlier to provide a, quote, margin of safety. And you certainly don't want that. And uh, here's a third thing not to do. Don't ignore those intrusive text calls and emails that you receive in non-working hours because that will probably lead to a face-to-face confrontation on the next workday, and it may even cause your boss to pursue you more off hours, even more aggressively. A much better solution is to spend time in contemplation before you receive the next unreasonable assignments. And I know you may not have much time to do that, but keep thinking on it. Come up with some ideas for negotiating with your boss uh, face-to-face for a solution. Here, uh, how about a few positive suggestions? Number one, understand where your boss's sense of urgency is coming from. Is he or she the one creating the rush, or is your boss uh, simply under pressure from his or her boss, from the company uh, culture and mentality or uh, the higher-ups? Is your boss a type A personality, or like you, is he or she simply getting pressured from above, a fellow victim? Uh, second, mirror your boss's sense of urgency that key projects most get done, uh, must get done. Don't ignore it or uh, act laid back and pretend that uh, they aren't important. Uh, your boss may get even more keyed up if you give a muted, laid back response that implies that you don't care. You certainly don't want to do that. Third, be prepared to discuss with your boss projects you already are working on. Ask your boss which projects have highest priority, the new or the existing. Prioritize existing projects with a new. Estimate hours needed to complete each project. Then see if the two of you can't set realistic deadlines for each. Four, whenever the boss tries to pile on another project, ask for help setting new priorities and deciding which prior project to temporarily set on hold so you can tackle the latest one. That's certainly a reasonable thing to do. Five, suggest for looking... looking for ways to modify existing projects such as agreeing to complete part of it by your boss's deadline, the rest later ask that any parts of the project be delegated to co-workers and, but here you certainly don't want to fear like you're shirking crucial responsibilities, you just want to make it clear that you need help and six, if your boss is demanding boundless access to your time negotiate some time boundaries, for example promise to respond to your boss's overnight calls, texts or emails uh, by sharply 9am the next following morning uh, not uh, while you're engaged in family activities or trying to sleep. Seven, explain that firm away from work boundaries are essential to good job performance. You could say I'm most productive in the morning if I've had time away from work to enjoy personal and family activities and responsibilities each evening, and I need to attend to other obligations when I'm away." certainly sounds reasonable to me 8 suggest alternatives for example if you hate weekend work or you have some big uh, event scheduled for this weekend suggest uh, working 10 or 12 hour days during the week now this shouldn't be a constant demand I'm talking about uh, extra hours during a uh, special emergency or uh, some crucial time of the year for your company. And nine, by all means, before you allow work and career or your present boss to take over your life, give yourself a brief vacation in your mind to set your own life priorities. You know, if you know what you want out of life and where you're going, it's much easier to put yourself in a good face-to-face conversation with your boss rather than sounding wishy-washy. Ask yourself these questions. At this point in my life, how really important to me is my career? And I'm talking about not... uh, losing your present job but uh, how important it is to get ahead or uh, get that big raise how can i balance career with other things important to me my spouse or significant others my family hobbies and recreation my church volunteer activities all these should have a part in your life Here's another great question to ask. How much higher in my career do I truly want to go? Am I satisfied with my present level of responsibilities? Do I enjoy where I am today? And uh, Can I fit that in with the rest of what's important in my life? And finally at work, what track do I really want to be on and how much am I willing to sacrifice to get to where I want to go? That's such a crucial uh, question to ask yourself. Never forget, you're over 40 now and priorities change. You know, during your uh, 20s and 30s, perhaps long hours and constant deadlines may have been accepted, but now that you've uh, mastered your trade and proven your value, it's perfectly reasonable and a nice way to negotiate lowered stress on the job and time away from work to enjoy middle age. After all, that's your prime time of life, isn't it? And guess what? If you're consistently positive on the job, a genuine team player willing to assist your co-workers and to put in those extra hours and effort on rare occasions during periods of genuine uh, department or company-wide challenge, your boss, no matter how demanding, will respect your reasonable requests for breathing room and life balance. If you're a positive force around the work and not a negative take uh, whiner or person that takes energy away from the department. uh, You should be able to make reasonable requests. And if not, if your boss is not willing to give a bit, it may be time to look Uh, start looking for a transfer within your company, or maybe a job or career change. You know, I talk all about success in your business and in your career, both as a leader or as a frontline employee in my second book, Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines, and the subtitle is Recreating and Re-Energizing Lagging Enterprises and Participants, that's you and me, Midstream, and it's written by Roy C. Richards. That's me. And you can preview and purchase it on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or on our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And that's our program for today. I trust your job is not too demanding. Spring is here, and it's time to have some fun. And tune in next week when we talk more about jobs and careers, uh, what those of us at middle age should want and expect out of our jobs, and from those we work for and what we as leaders should What we should do as leaders to respect those of middle age, of all ages in our companies. And goodbye for now from middle age can be your best age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his middle age renewal training system by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. We'll you